Our scripture reading from today is coming from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord for us. Fires into the end zone, and it is caught! Touchdown! Tonight, the deadly explosion rocking a historic hotel. <laughs> Hello, Newman. It is commonplace to binge watch our favorite TV shows, but what if we were to binge read the Bible? This collection of books tells one single story of redemption. We think of it as written laws, but it also includes history, poetry, prophecy, the gospel accounts of Jesus, and letters. These are the words of life. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed. This is the true story of God's love for humanity, and it is a page-turner. Join us for Binge Reading the Bible, Summer 2022 at MCA. When it comes to rules, I think we like the idea of them. The idea of rules and laws. I mean, we're not anarchists. If you're here and you're an anarchist, you probably, yeah, let's just break the mold, no rules. But we, we like the idea of rules kind of until they apply to us. So you're on the highway and you're going four miles per hour over and you get pulled over and you're like, oh, come on. I was just going a few over. Versus you're on the highway and that guy in the sports car just flies past you're like that guy must be doing 85 miles an hour my goodness and you see he gets pulled over and you go yes (laughs) see it wasn't applied to you and so you sort of liked that so we like the idea of rules but not necessarily when they're applied to us or i would also submit to you we don't like them when we don't understand them why can i not take the tag off my mattress (laughs) Why can I not walk on that beautifully manicured green grass? I'm barefoot. I'm not going to do it any harm. Like, we don't understand rules when we don't, we we don't like rules when we don't understand them. Have you ever been at an intersection and there is a red turn arrow? Like, I could turn right now. Why is there a red turn arrow keeping me from going where I want? And as we come to the Bible, sometimes we wonder the same thing. It's like, why so many rules? If you read the Old Testament, particularly the first five books, which is where we're going to be doing a broad overview today, you see a bunch of rules and laws that God gave to his people. And we don't always understand why did God give so many rules in the Old Testament, some of them which don't make sense to us. There are laws in the Old Testament about shellfish. Like you can't eat shrimp. There are laws in the Old Testament about mildew. Here's how you need to treat it. Here's how you need to respond to it. At a certain point, you just condemn the dwelling if enough mildew is there. There are laws in here about specifically how you bake your bread. And in all of this, we find ourselves sort of scratching our head wondering, like, what is this all about? And that's really what we're going to tackle together this morning. And and I'm going to give it to you right up here, right up front, while I've still got your attention, to say that as we look at God's law from the Old Testament... It actually helps us understand more fully God's love. That's right. 
God's law actually helps us understand more fully God's love. And if there's anything that's going to change your life, it's understanding that God loves you. What good news that I get to share this morning. Let me introduce myself. My name is John. I'm privileged and honored to serve as lead pastor here at MCA. I'm just thrilled that you are with us today. I don't know if there's an empty seat in the house. We are, we are packed full, and each one of you is valued and welcome. So we are glad to have you here with us in-house. We do have an audience that join us online each and every week as well, and so we want to welcome them. I pray that through our time together, your heart and your home grow stronger in the Lord. So this morning, we're starting a brand new sermon series. This will really serve as our summer series, and it's called Binge Reading the Bible. We're going to basically do an overview of all of the scriptures, even as we do an event starting next Sunday. Jeremy mentioned it a little bit ago, where we binge read the Bible from cover to cover. We've got sign-ups in the floor. We'd love to t- for you to take a 20-minute slot to read the scripture. We're going to read it out loud During those three and a half days, the church is open. You are welcome to come and sit and listen, even as others read the word. But we're excited for that event. It's going to start next Sunday, right after service, basically. So uh, after the Sunday school hour, I should say. So the event starts at 11 a.m. next Sunday, May 29th. It's going to go 24-7 round the clock, and it's going to conclude, we think, approximately... In the evening on Wednesday, June 1st. And I want you to take note of this. We will then have a special midweek service at 7 p.m. The service will be the final reading in the book of Revelation and then songs of celebration. In fact, our friends from the 412 Collective, which is a young adult worship movement, they're going to come. They're going to be here leading us in worship. And so put that on your calendars for Wednesday evening, June 1st, 7 o'clock. We're going to gather here. It's going to be the culmination and conclusion of our binge reading the Bible. We'll read the final section of scripture, and then we're going to celebrate, and we're going to celebrate big. So please make plans to be a part of that. Let me give a quick preview of where we're going to go with this series, by the way. This is kind of a quick preview of the Bible in five minutes. <laughs> uh, the way we're going to break this down is by uh, six different genres of Scripture. We understand that the Bible has different types of literature within it. It's one book with one story, and yet it is broken up into different parts and different sections. The two main parts of the Bible, of course, are the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament begins with the first five books, which are the books of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what we'll talk about today in just a few minutes. The next section is history, what the, what the scholars would have called the, the writings. And these are narrative stories where they show God's faithfulness to his people. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. And then as we look into the New Testament, we really find this book of Acts written by Luke that's also history. And so we, we would consider that to be a historical book as well. The Bible has books of poetry, which is the next section. These are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and Lamentations. Books of poetry in the scriptures. And these books are just filled with beauty, but also with power. And and here's the great thing about the, the books of poetry in the Bible that probably don't get a whole lot of our Bible reading time. That they have wisdom for our lives. These beautiful books of poetry, they're surprisingly relevant 
The biblical books of poetry are surprisingly relevant. Song of Songs is a celebration of romantic love. And I am not going to go into any more detail here this morning, but let me just say it's not G-rated. Surprisingly relevant, the poetry uh, in the scripture. The next genre there, as you see it on the overhead, the fourth category then, is prophecy. These are Old Testament prophets, which include the four major prophets of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then the 12 minor prophets, which are just simply smaller books. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. We also have this New Testament book, which is apocalyptic literature of Revelation. One of the most unique books in all of Scripture. So it's a New Testament book, but we, we definitely put that under prophecy as well because of the visions that John had there of the things that are yet to come. Next to that is a very unique genre that we call simply the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This very unique genre that is really kind of at the crux of the good news that we proclaim in Scripture. The stories, the true stories of the birth and the life and the ministries and the death and the triumphant resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally we have the epistles or letters would be the English word for that. The, the letters, the, they're, they're letters written uh, to the New, New Testament church, to the church of today, basically. Uh, we have a bunch of them that are written by Paul. And we have others we would call general letters that were written by a variety of other letters. The, these are books that really give us, they're terribly helpful for us today. They give us God's principles for living under the lordship of Jesus. Paul's letters are Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, which you guys recall that. We just studied that together. The general epistles written by an assortment of other authors then would be Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John, and Jude. That's an overview of the entire Bible. Those are six different genres that each book fits under with two main sections of Old Testament and New Testament. Now, let's start at the very beginning. Genesis. The first five books of Scripture. They're known as the books of the law because they're the books then that contain the laws, the rules, the regulations given by God to his people. They're also known as the Torah, which is simply the Hebrew word for law. Or the Pentateuch, which is a Greek rendering of five books. The Torah, the Pentateuch, the books of the law, these first five books. And what we read in those first five books are the story of creation, God speaking the earth and all that is into existence. We read about the fall of humankind. We read about redemption because in the scriptures, we talked about the gospels, those four books, talking about the story and the life and ministry of Jesus. Yes, Jesus in the flesh, but every page whispers his name. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when it's prophesied that the offspring of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. Every page whispers the name of Jesus. And so we are so fortunate and blessed that we read the scripture through the lens of the gospel. We understand the good news from Genesis to Revelation. So the books of the law then show us this beautiful covenant that's an agreement, a relationship between God and the people of God, the ones that he chooses. It is a really important part of the Bible. 
the, the first five books are really important. They really help us to understand the rest of the scriptures. When we understand rightly the law, we understand the rest of the Bible. It's like, just like any other story, uh, the beginning sort of is the first building block upon which everything else is built. It's like in your life. How those first years of your life, maybe even the first five years of your life, those developmental stages, the things you experience, your first initial years of life have such a great impact on the rest of your life. Those, those early days of your life impact the rest of your life. It reminds me of the woman who on her 40th birthday said, I just want to be 10 again. Now her husband was like, I got it. I'm on this. I can do this. So the day begins with this giant heaping stack of chocolate chip pancakes. And then he takes her to the playground. And then he says, let's go into the, to the carnival. And, and you can get the uh, elephant ears and you can get the cotton candy. He buys her a balloon. She rides on the carousel. They finish the day by going to Dairy Queen for a banana split. The husband says, so how was it being a kid again? The wife says, you know, it was really, it was great. She said, but when I said I wanted to be 10 again, I meant my dress size. <laughs> Missed it by that much. These books of the law, the first five books in the scripture, are in some ways are like a prerequisite. You know, when you have to take, you have to take the prereq before you get the next course. Like, you have to learn the basics. You have to learn the elementary things before you learn the more advanced ones. That's kind of how this works, is understanding these books of the law helps us to understand what comes after. And through it all, my friends, God is revealing himself through it all. So you might struggle when you're reading these books of the Bible that they, people tend to see as irrelevant or boring. God is present from the very beginning. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God. He reveals himself from Genesis through Revelation. So don't miss God and don't miss the gospel, even in these early books where God gives his rules and his law. And again, let me say it here. When we understand God's laws, my friends, we better understand God's love. So a passage that is particularly helpful, uh, it's impossible for me to preach through the first five books of the Bible. We would we, we'd be here for the next 20 years. Um, but... Uh, the passage that Ian read for us a few moments ago from Deuteronomy chapter 6. So I do want to key in there and, and do a little bit of teaching from that passage. It's a terribly helpful passage. It's known as the Great Shema. And it's really foundational for the rest of the story of redemption. Now, this comes in the book of Deuteronomy. It happens chronologically after the people have received many of or most of the laws from God, like including the Ten Commandments and that powerful scene in Exodus. So this comes after they've received most of or all of the other laws. And it really sort of summarizes them all and it really reveals the heart of God. And so we see in verse 5 there in Deuteronomy chapter 6, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's a command in Scripture. Of course, if you know the Gospels, if you know when Jesus was asked about the Torah and the greatest command, he said, this is it. This is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God. Maybe that's why, right here in Deuteronomy, maybe that's why Jesus, or the Lord, I should say, told them, instructed them, teach this to your children. Be diligent about that. 
Talk about it when you're at home and when you're away. Tie it as a symbol on your hands. Bind it on your foreheads. Write it on the door frames of your homes. Maybe that's why. That the whole world might see that you love the Lord. That you, that you live it out with your hands. That you have it on your mind. But most importantly, he talks about it being on their hearts. When you look at the book of Exodus, you see this amazing story of the Israelites and they were slaves in Egypt. And then God rescues them by uh, calling the leader Moses. And then they go to Mount Sinai where they have this encounter with the Lord. It's here that he gives them many of the laws, including the Ten Commandments. This is Exodus uh, chapters 20 through 34, roughly. And what's amazing is the response of the people when God gives them the laws. They don't whine and fuss and cry. They don't say, oh, man. They say, they receive it with, wow. They receive it with, we'll obey it. In fact, we can turn there and look if we want from Exodus 24 and verse 3. Check this out. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Everything. Now, according to our count, there are 613 laws given in the Torah, the books of the law. 613, and many of them are very specific laws and rules. And so we can appreciate the sentiment behind, thank you, God, for these rules. We're going to obey them. We can appreciate that sentiment. But at the same time, we can also guess and suspect and surmise, ain't no way they're going to keep them. Ain't no way they're going to keep 613 specific rules and laws. They're, they're, they're not going to be able to keep them all. And maybe that's just the point. Maybe that's just the point. So when we talk about God's laws revealing God's love for us, it begins with this. The law reveals our need for a savior. And I think even in today's world, many people mistakenly believe if you could just keep the Ten Commandments, if you could just follow those, you're going to somehow be guaranteed entrance into heaven. Just do good. Just follow the rules. If you could somehow keep those, you're going to be a good standing with God. That's not how it works. First of all, we can't keep them because we have a sin nature, that we are flawed, that we make mistakes, that each and every one of us has messed up. The Ten Commandments actually help people to realize that they're not perfect. <laughs> the, the commands of God help us to understand that we can't perfectly obey the law. Therefore, we stand in need of God's mercy. We stand in need of a Savior. We stand in need of God's grace imparted to us. So we have this teaching in the New Testament. I'm not making this up, by the way. This comes from the scripture. If we turn to the book of Romans, chapter 7. Here's what Paul teaches then in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. See, I think we tend to disregard the law then as believers we, we tend to view these as archaic and irrelevant we can't keep them the, the the law isn't irrelevant but at the same time we have to understand that the law was not given as a means of salvation it's not like well god gave us the law 
uh, and if we had followed it, then we would have been saved and that plan failed. Like plan A was, here are 613 rules that if you follow, you, you get into the kingdom of God. And that plan failed. So Jesus came along as plan B. That's not how it works. Jesus is plan A. Jesus has always been plan A. The law was never given or intended as a means of salvation. It wasn't plan A. Jesus has always been plan A. So what a beautiful picture of God's love when we understand the law actually reveals our need for a savior. And what good news, my friends, that Jesus is that savior. That only Jesus is that savior. Praise God for his master plan of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Praise God that he has provided the savior that we so desperately need in Christ. So another New Testament teaching on this comes from Galatians chapter 3. I do want to turn there. We'll look at a few verses together from Galatians chapter 3. Let's start in verse 11, where, where Paul teaches, Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. You see, salvation has always been and will always be by faith. By faith. Not by following the rules. Think about all the men and women who came before Christ, the ones who were given the law. They weren't saved simply by obedience to the law. They were saved by the grace of God. And that was imparted. Why? Because of their faith. It was their faith that was counted to them as righteousness. You recall that. It was their faith that was counted to them as righteousness. It was not adherence to the law that saved them. The law was never intended as a means of salvation. Jesus is plan A. He is the savior that we so desperately need. We're in Galatians chapter 3. If we then jump down to verse 19, Paul says very clearly, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. We were given the law because of our sin. We were given the law because we're feeble and because we have tendencies to make mistakes and mess up. So God instituted the law to essentially contain and repress and hold back sin to help us. The law was very helpful in setting guidelines for the people of God. It was very helpful for these people of Israel to know how do we relate to God and how do we relate to one another. In fact, the New Testament teaches, Paul teaches it right here in Galatians 3, that the law is like a watchful parent. And you think of a toddler and a small one who needs guidance and who needs boundaries. It kind of helps us to understand the purpose and the intention of the law, that we understand the law is kind of like a parent. Maybe you're a parent. I know I'm a parent, and I know in our household we have rules. We have rules that we expect our kids to follow. And it's not because we want to put a damper on their fun. It's to keep them safe. And it's because we love them. One of the very specific rules we have is that the kids have to stay in my line of sight. Like, especially if we go out somewhere. If we go to the zoo, which we do often, I love to take my kids to the zoo. They've got to stay where I can see them, where I can supervise them. So Matthias is now three years old. And the bigger kids can run ahead and he can try to keep up with them, but he often gets left behind in the dust. And if he goes out of my line of sight, but he's separated from the older ones, then, I mean, I can't have little man climbing into the lion's den. You see, 
You see how this makes total sense, right? Like the, the rule has been instituted because of my love for the children. The scriptures tell us then that the law was really the same way in our lives. It's a demonstration of God's love for us. And so if you find yourself scratching your head saying, what was the big deal about the people of Israel eating shrimp? Well, we certainly know more today than we did then, right? We know how dangerous and toxic seafood and shrimp becomes if it's left out in the sun, even just for a small amount of time. They didn't have refrigerators back then, people. We understand something now about how you have to heat up and prepare pork or other types of meats that they didn't have the knowledge back then. We understand now something about germs and how to stay clean. And so, and I'm not suggesting that it's all just about the, the uh, preserving the physical well-being of the body, but you can certainly make a case for many of God's Old Testament laws helping people thrive physically, avoiding sickness, disease, and death. And for me, that's been a light bulb moment. To say God didn't give the law because he just wants to enforce his rules, but God gave the law. Why? Because he loved his people and God still loves his people. Nothing's going to transform your life more than understanding that God loves you. And so what good news we have as we look at the books of the law, that it actually shows us that we need a savior and that Jesus is indeed that savior. So before Jesus, then we were under the law. But now that Christ has come, it's like we've grown up. You know, because you reach that point. We just saw 11 young men and women who are graduating high school. They're going to be making their way in the world. Mom and dad have given them shelter and an input and counsel and guidance and protection. But the day is coming very soon where they're going to be on their own making their own decisions. That's a picture of us. We were under the law, and now that Christ has come, we've grown up. And so there's this teaching in Ezekiel chapter 36. I want to take us there. And here's what the Lord says. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. By the way, that's a great scripture to be reading on a baptism Sunday, isn't it? (laughs) A great scripture to be reading on a baptism Sunday about God sprinkling us clean. In verse 26, then the Lord says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. And so you begin to realize that it's not this outward obedience of rule following, which can certainly contain an inward rebellion even while obeying on the outside, but it's an initiative created by God in the human heart that then leads to a grateful response of walking in humble obedience. He says, by his spirit moving in us, we will be careful to keep his laws. So the law, these, these five books of the Old Testament, these 613 Jewish regulations, they don't lord over us today. We don't sit under the law today. But God's truth, God's love revealed through those laws, it's something that is in our hearts. So... No one can perfectly obey God's laws. You can't even keep the 10 biggies, the 10 commandments, let alone the 603 others. We've all sinned. We're all in need of a savior. And this is the good news of the gospel. That everyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Although we deserve eternal punishment, separated from God in the flames of hell, we are given paradise in the presence of God forevermore. That's the good news of the gospel, that when we believe in him, he saves us. Only Jesus is powerful to save us. And the life that we have then in Christ, it's secure. It's filled with meaning and purpose and hope. And I know that for some of you, this idea of submitting your life to the authority of someone else, submitting your life to the authority of Jesus, sounds like in some ways a loss of freedoms. Because we like to be in charge. We like to be in control. But I want you to hear me. The Bible says you are already a slave. You don't have freedom because you are a slave to the sin in your life. And the wages of sin, the scriptures tell us, is death. So if you're here today and you're ready to turn to Christ and you're ready to submit your life to him, to his lordship, our prayer team is going to be right up here after the service and we invite you to come. We would be honored to pray with you and to go with you before God's throne of grace. So what good news as we look at the law in the scriptures that it reveals God's love. That, that the law reveals our need for a savior, that Jesus is that savior. And so then the admonition for you and I is to put Jesus first in your life. To choose him as savior. To choose him as master. God wanted to protect his people through the law. God also wanted, and I didn't touch on this yet, but God also wanted his people to be set apart. He wanted his people to be pure. And that's still God's heart for those who choose Jesus today. These, these laws and these rules and the life that God has for us, it comes from God's love for us. And so what's our response? It's actually very simple. And it can be summed up in one law that we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that our Lord Jesus quoted again, and that is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's our response then, putting Jesus first. Allow him to rule, allow him to reign. We're not under the law. We're under grace. The law then it's written on our hearts and by his spirit, he will move us to walk in obedience to him. So listen, I want to make this clear. We don't serve the law. As we look at the, the Old Testament Torah, we don't serve those 613 Jewish observances. We serve the Lord. And we don't have to throw those out. We, we don't have to unhitch ourselves from the Torah law. It, it's, it's not this checklist that puts us in right standing with God if we if we follow it, but it does show us in a powerful way God's love for us. And isn't it interesting that one of the ways that we show our love for God is obedience to him. First John teaches us that in chapter 5, starting in verse 2. Listen to this. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, John writes. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So this is in so many ways a shift in our thinking. From an oppressive, heavy-handed God who just instills rules in our lives. To understanding the grace of God poured out for you and for me. The full expression of that by Jesus. Who was perfect and blameless. Who went as a sacrificial lamb. Who went like a lamb before its shears to the slaughter. Who gave his life on the cross. What a powerful imagery of being under grace. 
So when we respond by walking in obedience to God, it's not to earn God's favor. It's not to check off things off our spiritual checklist. It's to simply say, God's truth is written on my heart and I belong to him and I want to respond to him by loving him with every fiber of my being. So Christian believer, you're not under the law. You are not obligated to follow laws one through 613. The righteous requirement of the law Jesus has already fulfilled that righteous requirement. Just simply live in grateful response to all the Lord has done for you. Walk by faith. Walk by obedience in him. Don't throw the law out. We cherish the law. We treasure it. We see it for what it truly is. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of God's love for us. Not restrictive, not oppressive. But oh, what freedom we have in Christ. What freedom we have. The beautiful story in the, in the New Testament where the Apostle Peter is before some, some animals and some potential uh, dinner that would have been restricted by the Jewish laws. And he, he was a strict Jew who observed those things. And he hears from the Lord who says, Hey, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. You're under grace, Peter. Not under the law. You, you don't have to worry about following all those restrictions. Jesus has come as the perfect sacrifice. And so I think we can embrace, as we begin this, this series of binge reading the Bible, going cover to cover and understanding this morning, what's the role of the Torah, these first five books of the law? It is a beautiful picture of God's love for his people. And it's a vision of what our lives would look like when Jesus is Lord, that is, lives that are pure, lives that are holy, lives that are set apart, lives that are deemed righteous, not because of what we've done, but because of him. And so we choose Jesus. We put him first. And we're unwavering in our affections toward him, even in the times where we struggle, because he forgives and he restores. And we are committed to his kingdom cause. And we're committed to then heralding this good news sharing the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. Let's pray. Thank you, God, our Heavenly Father, for your word. Thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Thank you for the ways that you lovingly guide us and help us because you love us. And I pray, Lord, that today as we consider giving you lordship and authority and rule and reign, that we would submit and surrender entirely and completely to you. So Lord, we look to you. You're the author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.